Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, plant Your Word deep within us that we would be lifted up, that we would be drawn near, that we would be continually changed by what You have given to us. Enable us, Lord, to know Your Word and through Your Word to know Your Spirit and by Your Spirit to know Your Son that we would be in all ways made like Him. That through knowing Him, we would be fashioned more and more to be a people of Your own choosing. So we ask that You would guide us this day, enable us to know Your Word, and to know You, O Lord. We ask all of this through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not much of a farmer or a gardener. The last couple of years we have attempted to just have a small little vegetable garden in our backyard, and that has not been the most successful of endeavors. We got a few tomatoes. Actually, we got quite a few tomatoes last year. Tomato plants did well, finally, but I don't grow those from scratch. I buy little tomato plants and plant them and watch them grow and take care of them in that way. Tried to grow some corn last year. We got a few corn stalks and a few very tiny little corn cobs. We had some sweet potatoes that were decently successful, though. That was a surprise. But nothing else really survives well. Nothing else really grows well in our yard. So I'm not much of a gardener. I've had a little experience, though, with flowers, thanks to Rachel. She loves to plant flowers. She's done a great job with planting flowers over the years and making our yard look good with those flowers. And the one thing I have discovered... Is something that Jesus is mentioning here in this very gospel lesson this day about pruning. That if you don't take your flowers and cut off the dead blooms, remove the dead leaves, your flowers won't grow very well. They'll quit producing blooms, in fact, if you don't clip off the dead ones. As you get rid of those dead ones, new blooms can grow because those dead ones are no longer stealing sap from the roots of the plant. And so that sap can go to other parts of the plant and thus produce something new. So that's been about the only real success I've had with gardening. has been seeing these flowers planted and going through occasionally when Rachel hasn't had time to and clipping the, de- the dead blooms off, removing those dead leaves, which enables that plant to then begin to thrive, to flourish, to get strength, to grow stronger in so many ways. And here today, Jesus is speaking of being the true vine. He is speaking of being that one from whom we gain our life. And in light of our gaining life from Him, we must be changed. And as we draw our very life from Him, we get changed by that drawing of life. But if we don't draw life from Him, we don't change. We die. We become withered up. And that is not what Jesus desires of us. He desires us to gain life. 
Because He is the true vine. And out of being the true vine and giving to us life, He then calls us toward joy. He calls us to have a new disposition. To be people who not only gain life through Him, but gain joy through Him. As He said in the very last verse we heard this morning, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That ultimately in Christ is true joy. And that that true joy in Christ is found in our abiding in Him because we have been grafted into the vine that is His very life. We've been grafted into this vine who is Christ Himself. And so we just simply begin there with that grafting into the true vine, grafting into Christ the vine. And now I know Christ didn't mention anything about being grafted onto the vine. In this, He just simply gives that picture of Him being the true vine and His Father being the vine dresser. That is an analogy, a metaphor. He's giving us a bit of a parable here of the vine. And the reason he picks this idea of the vine, I think, some have tried to speculate and figure out all these different intricate ways that maybe he saw a vine growing as they were walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane and it made him dive into this. Or maybe it was simply they just finished up the Last Supper. There he spoke of the fruit of the vine as he was offering the cup to his disciples, that cup of wine. And now here he's ruminating over the idea of the vine. It could be either one of those. But even more, I think that it reaches back into just Jesus' great knowledge of Scripture itself. Now within Scripture, Israel is continually shown and called the vine. It was so frequently used that Israel is the vine of God. That during the Maccabean period when Judah had some level of independence, they were an independent nation for a while. Their coins, the coins that they would mint for use within their own nation, had a vine on them, had a grapevine imprinted on them. Because Israel is the vine of God. Israel is the vine that gives life, that is supposed to give life. As it grows, life is being given and fruit is being grown. But in so many ways, Israel fails in doing that. Just like with Jesus being the true temple because... The physical temple has not succeeded in making God known, making Yahweh known as it was supposed to. And thus Jesus comes and becomes the true temple by being God in the flesh. Here, He steps into the shoes of Israel and becomes the true vine, saying that I am the one from whom life will go out to the world. It is no longer Israel herself drawing the world into itself to make known Yahweh. But instead, I will be that true vine because Israel cannot succeed in that. Israel has failed in it over and over and over. Instead of being a proper vine, Israel became a wild vine that produced sour grapes and was incapable of actually drawing the nations to Yahweh. And so, Jesus becomes that true vine now. He steps in and becomes the vine in which all the world All the nations must be connected in order to know life. And that's why I speak of being grafted into Christ. Because ultimately that's what happens to us. 
We must be united to Christ. We must be grafted into Him because He is the ground of our entire salvation. And that's what it means for Him to be the vine. That means that He is the source of all for us. That as we grow on Him, as we grow out of Him, as we are those branches that come off of that vine, we are drawing all of our life from that vine. And we must depend upon that vine. We must continually find life, find sustenance from the vine who is Christ. And so Christ is the true vine and we are grafted into Him. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 2 that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He that is God the vine dresser takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here we see that in being grafted into Christ the vine, we are called to bear fruit. Being united to that vine, being part of that vine means bearing fruit because we are receiving life. We are receiving sustenance and the goal of a branch growing on a vine, especially a grapevine, is for that branch to produce grapes, to produce good grapes. And so the Father desires for us to grow and to bear fruit. But if we do not bear fruit, ultimately we will be taken away. We will be cut away from that branch. We will be removed. Or more to the point, we remove ourselves. When we don't receive life, when we don't depend on life and sustenance to come from the vine, we are stripping ourselves away from that very life. We have taken ourselves away from salvation, taken ourselves away from the ground of our being. We are removing ourselves from Christ when we don't depend upon Him, when we don't bear that fruit, when we don't remain attached to Him. We are at a loss. We get taken away. We get removed because we have removed ourselves. But as we remain, as we draw life as we grow fruit what does the father do do he prunes us he cuts away that which is unnecessary in us he strips away our brokenness he strips away our sinfulness he reveals to our eyes the ways that we are not truly following him so he prunes us he cuts those things away so that we might bear more fruit that we might grow more in Christ that God takes away that which is a distraction, that which draws us away from Christ in order that we would then depend upon Christ more. And that depending upon Christ is what Jesus moves to next. That after speaking of that vine that He is, that gives life to all who are united to Him, that, grow, that through that life the bearing of fruit comes, He says, Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Moving from that image of that vine, he now shifts us to the reality of what he wants us to understand, that we are to abide in him, that we are to find our life in him, that we are to truly find sustenance by remaining near to him. That he is the ground not only of our salvation, but of our entire livelihood. We can't bear fruit without being in the vine. A branch that detaches itself from the vine can no longer receive life. Therefore, that branch must abide in the vine. Likewise, we must abide in Christ. 
We must find and remain within Him. But even more beautiful than that, in abiding in Him, He abides in us as well. That as we abide in Him, we find that He is there within us. He has united Himself to us because He is divine. And we are the branches and so we are connected to Him. And as we abide in Him, we find that He is abiding in us. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If we're receiving life from Him, He is life itself. So therefore, if His life is in us, He Himself must be in us. He Himself must be united to us, dwelling within. And the one who abides in Christ, He says in verse 5, the one who abides in Him, and He in that one, it is that person who will bear much fruit. That through abiding in Christ, we will bear fruit. And what is that fruit? What is this fruit that we keep hearing about? First and foremost, it is fruit of repentance. That if we're abiding in Christ, then we must know that in ourselves, we have no life. In ourselves, we have no righteousness. In ourselves, we have nothing before the Father. That if we abide in Christ, then the first thing we must be doing is repenting. Recognizing our sin as sin. Seeing that we need that life planted in us. That we need that forgiveness bestowed upon us because we have been wayward sheep. We have been wayward children. We have abandoned the God who would save us. We have turned from our Creator and that Creator has become our Redeemer, calling out to us, drawing us back to Christ, uniting us to Him. That we would abide in Him. And that through that abiding, He would be in us. And through Him being in us, we would bear fruit beginning with that repentance, beginning with that turning from the sin that has drawn us away, that sin that would drive us to separate ourselves from Christ, that sin that has led us to being born without knowing God, that He must come to us, and He joyfully comes to us, yes, but He must come to us because we are broken sinners to begin with, and He pours new life into us and makes us new once more. And then we are called to bear fruit, And that turning from sin is not an easy and simple thing to do. It requires fortitude. It requires work. But it's a work that draws strength from Christ abiding within us. And that fruit is part of the pruning work of God. That that fruit comes, that fruit of repentance, that fruit of confession that then leads to good works and good deeds, that leads to love of neighbor. In order to repent, He must reveal that sin to us. That is His pruning process of opening our eyes to that sin. Of bringing us some level of pain as we see that which has broken our relationship to Him. That has broken our relationship to others. That that sin is there and must be dealt with. That Christ deals with that sin for us in order that, that through His dealing with it, we can then confess it as sin. Not having any fear of rejection from the Father knowing that Christ has dealt with sin for us, that we can then draw near and abide in Christ and receive the love of the Father through Christ for us. That we can receive His loving pruning of that which is wayward in us. That we can receive that struggle that He brings into our lives to drive us to Himself more deeply, to drive us more deeply into abiding in Christ. That we would know Him as the ground of our entire being. And Jesus goes on to say that without 
abiding in Him, we, are, we can do nothing. That we have no spiritual fruit, we have no spiritual good truly flowing from us if we do not abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the root and the foundation of all that we do in our spiritual lives. That any good deeds that flow out of our lives must flow from, first and foremost, our abiding in Christ, our dwelling in Him, our receiving from Him His sustenance, our receiving from Him His life, our looking to His Word continually to reveal to us the work that He is doing within us. If we are to abide in Christ, we are to abide in His Word. And that's what He says over in, up in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. His Word cleanses us. His Word prunes us. His Word purges us of that which is wrong in us. And so as we hear the Word of Christ, we are being pruned. And as we are being pruned by hearing the Word of Christ, we are being cleansed of our sins. And thus we are being enabled to produce fruit. As we abide in Christ, we hear His Word. And as we hear His Word, we are made into who He desires us to be. And He desires us to be those who bear fruit. The one who does not abide in Him, He says, will be thrown away, will be cast away into the fire. And He will be burned. Here's one of those moments where Jesus sounds very much like John the Baptist. The tree that does not bear fruit has the axe laid at its root in order to chop it down and cast it into the fire. So if one does not abide in Christ, one has cut himself off from Christ. And thus he will be cast away in the end. He will be rejected as he has rejected. The one who abandons the ground of life loses all life. But there's always opportunity to turn back before that end. To go back to abiding. To go back to being united to Christ. To going back and confessing and dwelling once more to return from that path of destruction, to turn back from it in repentance, and to return to that one who desires to give you life and sustenance and renewal of heart and mind. So that's why that's not the end of Christ's words there, to speak of that fire. But He then turns back to speaking of, if you abide in Me, this will not be. If you abide in Me and My Word in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. That He will work in us He will work His will. He will work His desires in us that as we pray, He will reshape us and that we will see God's will done for us. We will see God accomplish our prayers. We will see God do the great things that we need Him to do because we are abiding in Christ. We are turning from our sin. We are turning from ourselves and looking to Christ alone and trusting Him to produce fruit in us and thus going forward to accomplish that fruit going forward to grow that fruit, receiving what He brings into us, knowing that He desires it for our good. That even if trials come into our lives, those trials are not meant to do us harm, but to do us good, J.C. Ryle says. We should desire to be changed by the Father. And that desire is going to flow out of our abiding in Christ alone. And even more so, as we abide in Christ, we will abide in His love. And as we abide in His love, we come to discover that we find true joy in the vine of life. That the love of Christ is our life. That is why we must abide in Him. 
The ground of our every action must be in this vine of life that brings us joy. Jesus has fully received the Father's love and He abides in the Father's love. And that abiding in the Father's love brings Him joy. He knows joy in its fullness because He abides in the Father and does His will. But He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. As the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves His disciples. And therefore, He loves us in that same way that the Father loves Him. And that should bring us joy. That should bring joy in a way that overflows out of us. That drives us nearer to Christ. The Father has loved Him, and so Jesus loves us with that same love. And as we abide in His love, we will be drawn into keeping His commandments. If you keep My commandments, He says, you will abide in My love. For there is where God's blessing is. Following the commands of God, letting them reveal to us our sinfulness, letting them prune us, letting them drive us to despair in order that we might repent and confess our sins and turn to Jesus. And there we find that we are abiding in His love, that we are dwelling in Him. Because Jesus has kept His Father's commandments and thus abides in His love. And all these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That our true joy is in Christ alone and that that true joy is His joy being poured into us. And everything that we do, joy is only found in Christ. Joy is not that outward Happiness that is so utterly dependent on the circumstances, on luck happening for us. But it is a deep and abiding sense of stability. It's an assurance that all will turn out good in the end. That kind of joy, that kind of sense within finds root in the one who looked beyond the shame of crucifixion. Jesus looked beyond the shame to the joy that would be had in the end because He looked to those results that would flow from His very death upon the cross that He would bring salvation for the world through that. Our joy, it's a joy that is hard fought for one. It is a hard fought joy accomplished in the fight by the one who is beyond measure. He fought against sin and death for us. And He would have us participate in every jot of that joy that He now has. He has known joys from eternity past. He has known the joy of being eternally united to the Father. Of sharing with the Father and the love that exists within the Trinity. And that joy is one that He wishes to pour upon us now. And we can only discover that joy in Him alone. And so we must rest in the joy that Christ gives to us as much as we rest in Christ Himself. And that resting in Christ is not something that comes easily. Resting in Christ is something we must fight for because it means fighting against ourselves. We must continually fight that old man that we have put to death by our remembrance of baptism, but he nonetheless rears up and fights against us. He desires to steal that eternal joy from us by giving us only a few moments of lucky happiness, 
a few moments of fleeting feelings of goodness. That is what the old man desires to give to us. And so he fights the, old, he fights the new man within, that new man who has life, who has love, who has the joy of Christ. And so our abiding in Christ is absolutely necessary. Because if we don't abide in Christ, we will lose joy. And that's why Christ says that so much. Abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. For you will find my love for you. You will find my joy for you. You will find my peace towards you. As you abide in me. That we must then fight against ourselves. For ourselves, our old man would resist abiding. He would resist resting in Christ knowing that he is forgiven. Because he wants to pursue that which is against God's will. And so abiding in Christ is a fight against the flesh, the devil, and the world. It seems so simple a thing. On one hand, it is after, after all just faith and trust in the one who laid down his life. But on the other, it means struggling against that which is within us. It means struggling against that sinfulness within in order to live in faith and trust, we must struggle against that which would drive us from that faith and trust. And so it takes the Spirit that comes and renews us. That Spirit that empowers us to resist. That Spirit that drives us to abide in Christ. That we know as we dwell in Christ, as we remain in Christ, as we dwell in Him. We will abide in Christ and we will know joy. We will know true joy. We'll know what it means to follow Christ as we abide in Him. And so that's where we find the center of our joy that our old man would steal from us. But because we've tasted of that joy, we are driven to abide in Christ and to resist the old man by confessing his sinfulness, by confessing our sinfulness. And in confessing that sinfulness, we know the love of God in Christ for us. We know we are abiding. We know that we are dwelling in Christ alone. So may we keep up that good fight against sin and live that life of repentance by abiding in Christ and abiding in Him knowing His love and abiding in His love knowing His joy for us. That that true joy comes from us being grafted into Christ because He is the one who has accomplished salvation for us by being the true vine that gives life to the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.